Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we focus on women's football, as it's two weeks to go to the Africa Women's Cup of Nations finals in Ghana. Cameroon are getting ready for the tournament, having finished second in the last two editions. But as they aim to win it for the first time, there have been a lot of concerns over their preparations. You have players who are in Europe, you have players here in Cameroon, but they have not played together to have cohesion. Special report from Cameroon coming up. Also, we find out how women's football is doing in Europe in terms of interest and attendances. And lots on the English Premier League as Leicester City are mourning following the tragic death of their owner. And Nigeria's Isaac's success scores his first goal in over two years. Firstly, a shocking news during the course of the week as a FIFA gave a life ban to Kwesi Nyantachi, the former president of the Ghana Football Association. The ban covers all football-related activities at national and international level. FIFA found Nyantachi guilty of violating articles to do with conflicts of interest and bribery and corruption. He was fined half a million dollars. And Nyantachi was filmed in a BBC investigation in June where he was seen accepting cash gifts in an undercover investigation. Nyantachi was also vice president of the Confederation of African Football and a member of the FIFA Council. He stepped down as Ghana Football Association president in June after the film of him allegedly accepting a cash gift was made public. And Nyantachi later resigned his CAF and FIFA posts but claimed the footage had been doctored to falsely incriminate him. Well, he was certainly a very respected figure in African football, although when I spoke to a Ghanaian journalist on Planet Sport Football Africa after they lost their Africa Cup of Nations semi-final to Cameroon last year, uh, the journalist said that many were blaming Nyantachi for the lack of progress in Ghanaian football, although Nyantachi always denied that. Well, it's two weeks to go to the Africa Women's Cup of Nations finals in Ghana with eight teams taking part. Nigeria will be favourites to win it yet again, but Ghana, South Africa and Cameroon are all in with a chance. Cameroon are getting ready for the tournament, having finished second in the last two editions. But as they aim to win it for the first time, there have been a lot of concerns over their preparations. These concerns are typical of the situation in most African countries, where much of the attention and resources goes to men's football, while the women's game is often overlooked. This report from Njie Eno in Yaoundé in Cameroon. Preparing for a continental or global football tournament has always come with its fair share of troubles for Cameroon's senior women's national football team. But the challenges the team has been up against a few weeks to the start of the 2018 Africa Women's Cup of Nations in Ghana seems to be taking a toll on the indomitable Lionesses' preparation two weeks to the start of the continental competition. The vice African champions who have been in camp for three weeks at the CAF Excellence Center in Bankomo are yet to play a warm-up game after they were humbled zero goals to six by France on October 9. Forty players, 26 local-based and 14 playing the trade abroad, were called up by indomitable Lionesses gaffer Joseph Ndoko. While all the home-based players are in camp, only three foreigners are currently training in Bankomo. 
Former footballer, now turned pundit, Edith Vigenimbok, admits the team has been training in tough conditions. As a former competitor, it is not a correct way to prepare for a great competition like AFCON because after the finals here in Yaoundé, 16 months, they have never seen them playing together. And I'm very afraid because you have players who are in Europe, you have players here in Cameroon, but they have not played together. To have cohesion, to have a team like Ghana or South Africa who have prepared for a long time. The indomitable Lionesses have suffered a blow with one of the team's brightest options up front. Raisa Mbappe Etundi ruled out of the tournament. The 24-year-old attacker who netted in two goals during the 2018 Kosafa Women's Cup picked up an ankle injury and has already left the camp. But the presence of Seska Moscow attacker and 2016 Orkon best player Gabriela Budiongene at the CAF facility is seen as an added impetus by football analyst Angu Leslie. It is true that it has been very difficult to bring the block together. For Cameroon, just the fact that the best player in the last tournament, Gabriela Budiongene, has appeared in camp is a huge buster because in the last tournament she didn't come this early and a good number of other alliances based in Europe and in other parts of the world are already in camp, which gives Coach Ndoko ideal time to prepare. But I think that Cameroon have always shown the best when we least expect, and Cameroonians are really least expecting these girls to come back with the trophy. The team's serenity has also been blighted by a sack specter looming over indomitable Lionesses head coach Joseph Ndoko. A document from Cameroon's Football Federation, Fikafoot, to the sports ministry that filtered on social media calls for a change of coach. These sports pundits say it's uncalled for at this crucial stage of the team's build-up to the Orkan. Girls have worked with Joseph Ndoko, but they will no longer be at ease when they have this kind of ideas in their mind. They will lose concentration and confidence. With Cameroon's pride at stake, the team's technical staff has opted to overcome adversity and focus on the ultimate goal, that of winning the competition. Deputy coach and former skipper Bernadette Anon is upbeat the team's glory will be forged in the fires of the current challenges. We need really to work hard and uh, really continue to work on the defensive techniques and the collective defensive animations so that they'll be able to be fit during the AWC. We really appreciate their effort because we went hard on them physically. It's not an easy thing and they, they really put up uh, their mind. So I would say it's not bad like that, but it's good because they are set to work and uh, they are trying to push us forward. After three lost finals, there's a growing exasperation amongst Cameroonian fans who long for a continental title. They hope and pray that despite a shambolic build-up to the event, the indomitable lionesses of Cameroon can finally lay their hands on the Africa Women's Cup of Nations trophy and end Nigeria's hegemony in the event. A special report from GANO in Yaoundé, and uh, that's a common situation in so many African countries. We heard earlier this year on Planet Sport Football Africa how defending Africa Women's Cup of Nations champions Nigeria went for a year without any games, friendly or competitive, and also how only 24 teams entered the Women's Nations Cup qualifiers, and yet there are 54 nations in CAF, so more than half of the countries in Africa didn't even enter the qualifiers. 
qualifiers. And as we heard in that report, key players not in camp yet with Cameroon, a lack of warm-up games and doubts as to whether the coach will still be in charge when the Women's Nations Cup starts. Uh, well, Solomon, it's concerning how women's football is given second-class treatment, isn't it? Steve, women's football in Africa is definitely not getting the best attention from corporates and from government. And it's really sad uh, for us to be able to, to, to get to this level. So, uh, you know, women's football in Africa is definitely underinvested and also undervalued. We need to see lots of investment, a lot of, lot of uh, uh, coaching courses that would improve the coaches so they can go back and also improve the game. A lot of development, that's an area we... You know, Africa has been, has been lacking. Until we do that, you know, we're gonna, we're not gonna be able to create the interest from football loving Africans that just follow the men's version of the football, but also would want to follow the women's version of the football. But all, a lot of that needs a lot of investment. Uh, some nations are really improving. I think South Africa is one nation that you know, for me in the next five years, they're definitely going to be a leader in Africa uh, because the league is kicking off soon, a professional league. And also there's been a lot of investment and a lot of interest uh, because they've been winning their games also. But there are a lot of girls across the continent of Africa who, who would want to get involved in the game or who, ha- who, who has the talent. But then things are not changing to be able to give them a, a good uh, opportunity to do that and also to tell, you know, to be able to, to show them that, look, they can make a career out of football. Yeah, sure. Now, last week, FIFA announced that the 2019 Women's World Cup will see prize money doubled from the previous tournament in 2015. The tournament winners will get $4 million. That's twice the amount the United States received in 2015 when they beat Japan, while the overall prize fund is going up from $15 million to $30 million. Uh, FIFA President Gianni Infantino says this is an important message for women's football, but the World Players Union FIFPRO says the increase is insufficient. Now, prize money at this year's World Cup in Russia totaled $400 million, this compared to the $30 million for the 2019 Women's World Cup, and the champions France won $38 million, while next year's Women's World Cup winners will get $4 million. Uh, so, Solomon, some progress there. The prize money doubled. What do you make of it? Yeah, just a little progress. I see, you know, $4 million for the Women's World Cup compared to 38 for the Men's World Cup. I, I don't think it's, it's fair enough, you know, but it's a step in the right direction. So we need to, to see money being pumped in, even if the money is not coming in as price money, but we need to be able to see a, a lot more money being invested by FIFA. And it might be a, some sort of a sacrifice because the women's football may not be generating enough but at the same time i think it's an investment that in the next 10 20 years is definitely going to reap a lot of benefit uh, because it's definitely going to attract young stars who would you know be able to uh, enjoy the game and corporate sponsors who would want to market their products through uh, the women's world cup and, and that way everybody would be a winner Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Solomon. Uh, Now, Stuart, let's be realistic here. The level of interest in the Women's World Cup is nowhere near that of the Men's World Cup. Uh, In Europe, there's effort being made to raise the standard and the profile of the women's leagues in many countries. There is a Women's Champions League. But uh, what's the level of interest there in England and elsewhere in Europe? Steve, I think the growth of women's football is going to be gradual. Women's football was effectively banned in England and only restarted in 1969 
And of course, men's competitive football had been going for nearly a 100 years at that point. Women's football restarted in 69, but only much later did it become professional. We now have a Super League of 11 teams with a second division called the Championship. In the Super League, you'll find Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, Everton, Liverpool, West Ham and Brighton, all, of course, with a men's Premier League team, but um, four other clubs which do not. There's a salary cap, which means that only four players per club are allowed to earn more than $30,000. The idea of this is to make it fair and a level playing field. The average attendance is about a 1,000 spectators, and some games are currently televised. England reached the World Cup semi-finals in 2015, and that gave the sport a real boost with lots of people watching those games on television. Now, you mentioned the Champions League. Well, there are about 60 teams from 50 countries in the Champions League. It works on a basis of one club per country, with the exception of the top eight countries in Europe, which each get two clubs. The best team in Europe is Lyon in France, who have been Champions League champions for the last three years. If we look at the attendance in the Champions League in 2017, taking the quarter-finals, the highest attendance was Lyon, 14,000 watching uh, a home leg. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain had a, an attendance of just under 14,000 for their game with Bayern Munich, and when they played the return in Germany, 7,000 went along. Interestingly, the lowest attendance was the tie between Fortuna Höring from Denmark and Manchester City, with only 2,000 people attending each leg. So I find that really interesting, that Lyon, Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, can attract crowds of between seven and 14,000 for a women's Champions League game, Manchester City just 2,000. You know, of course, women's football is a lower standard than men's, but so what? You might say that women's tennis or women's athletics are a lower standard than men's, but both are of an amazingly high standard. As you know, Steve, I watch a lot of athletics, and if you ask me to name the five best races I've ever seen, probably three of those would be women's. I think a problem that we have is that football in England is very tribal. People support a team all their lives. And you take Manchester United, for example, uh, with a 75,000 capacity stadium which sells out every week. I can never see a women's team in England getting close to that. But as more girls play football growing up, and as there's more women's football on television, I can see the sport growing significantly. Yes, I think that will be the case. Uh, Thanks, Stuart. And talking of attendances, we've had some of the biggest for women's football in the whole of Africa here in Zimbabwe, with crowds as high as 30,000. It's normally free admission to watch the women's national team play, and with the team having a good record, they do draw good attendances, although for club matches, very few fans attend here. Well, just finally on women's football for now, this week FIFA launched the FIFA Coach Mentorship Programme in Zurich in Switzerland. This project is designed to support female coaches by enabling them to acquire new knowledge, skills and experience. Coaches have been paired with big-name coaches in women's football in a mentorship programme and communication between the coaches and their mentors will continue after the workshop with the programme concluding in November of next year. 
The African coaches involved are from Cameroon, Sudan, Uganda, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe's mighty warriors coach Sitatelo Sibanda has been paired with a very big name in Pia Sundage from Sweden.、Uh, Pia was the head coach of the United States women's national team from 2007 to 2012, winning two Olympic gold medals and finishing second at the World Cup. And she was the 2012 FIFA World Coach of the Year.、Uh, she's currently coaching the Sweden under 15. An under 17 national team, and Sivanda sent me this voice note from Zurich, saying how excited she is to be working with Pia.、Uh, my prayer really was to get、um, one of the most experienced coaches as far as、uh, women football is concerned, and I wouldn't have asked for any other other than one、um, that worked for the U.S. As you know. The United States team is one of the best teams in women football. So yeah, it's great really to get、um, Pia as one as my mentor. I think、um, among the people that I, I wished for, she's one of the the, the most experienced, and、um, it's great really. And when we were, we were chatting and、um, uh, with other coaches, even the current U.S. coach Joe was saying that、um, Pia. Was her mentor, so you, you you know what I mean. She's one of the greatest, so it's a great opportunity, really, for me. And、um, she will help me a lot. And、uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's about it's about working. I wouldn't have、uh, got that opportunity if I was also not working as a coach. So yeah, I'm grateful, and I will give it my all. That's the Zimbabwe women's national team coach Sita Telele Savanda、uh, speaking from Zurich in Switzerland.、And、this week on social media, we're asking:、uh, Are you interested in the Women's Africa Cup of Nations? The tournament begins in Ghana on the 17th of this month, with eight teams taking part. It certainly doesn't attract the same level of attention as the Men's Nations Cup, but are you interested? Will you be following the games? If so, who will you be supporting? You can go onto our Facebook page, Planet Sport. Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, and you can download our app and listen to the show any time, and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store, and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen to the show on our new look website, planetsport.tv. We have our other shows there, Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with various stars, including Ghana's Christian Atu and Brazil's Kaká. Also, there are pictures and profiles of all of the Planet Sport Football Africa team there. That's on our new look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we turn to social media, and on last week's show we looked at Italy as a destination for African footballers. We spoke to Nigeria defender William Troost Ekong, who's moved to Udinese. We considered how good football is in Italy, and asked if you think that Juventus can win the Champions League this season. We had another huge response. We'll try and get through as many of your comments as possible.、Uh, firstly, on Facebook, Julian Ding Jaune in the Gambia says, "No, Juventus can't win the Champions League, but maybe they can win the Serie A this season." 
On WhatsApp, Babuka Jaju in the Gambia is more optimistic, saying, "For me personally, I think they can spring a surprise this season." Says Babuka. Look at their current form, which is superb. While the bigger guns like Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Bayern Munich are still struggling, so yes, they can win it. Gemo in the United States agrees, saying, "With the addition of Ronaldo, Matuidi, and others, I think Juventus are one of the favourites to win the Champions League." I won't be surprised if they win," says Gemo, "because they have a really good and experienced team. However, it's too early to say that for sure because other clubs, such as Real Madrid, tend to pick up good form in the second half of the season." Sunkaru Bambaso in the Gambia also agrees, saying with the caliber of players that Juventus has, they can certainly win the Champions League. And Abina in Nigeria also believes the old lady of Turin can win the title. Yes, Juventus can finally win the Champions League after so many tries lately, says Abina, because they've signed a player who has winning in his DNA in Cristiano Ronaldo. His transfer to the old lady has brought so much confidence to the Turin side. And Samana Sonko in the Gambia also sees the title going to Italy. Obviously, they can win it, says Ansumana. Look at the experience the squad has and their quality players. Ronaldo is the most decorated player in the world. Meanwhile, in Nigeria, Barnabas Ande is in no doubt at all that Juventus will win. Juventus already have the Champions League sewn up, as they have Cristiano Ronaldo, says Barnabas. Nobody knows how to win it more than him, so definitely they'll go for it and win it. Dan Ogega in Kenya is cautiously positive, saying, "I feel they stand a better chance than the previous seasons. Now that they have a top marksman in Ronaldo, says Dan, he'll take them over the line if they reach the final this year. Also, other big clubs like Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern, and Real Madrid are struggling, and Juve's defending will help them stand a chance against any top opponent." It's good to have a European perspective from Bakary in Germany, who says, "Well, Juventus is doing really good in the league, but to win the Champions League, I think, is a very difficult battle to fight." And in Nigeria, Chie Mary says, "No way will Juve triumph. No one can deny that Barcelona will win the Champions League." Mkondo Harawa in Malawi says every big team has shown they have major weaknesses this season. While Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, and Bayern are not in the best shape, this gives Juventus some chance, but not an edge over them. The reason I don't really count Juventus in for the title is because of their play, says Mkondo. They don't really control ball possession, which will make it very difficult if they face a strong side. So I don't really count them out, but neither do I really count them in for the Champions League title, says Mkondo. Daniel in Ghana says it's too early to tell. Juventus are playing good football domestically and in Europe, says Daniel. They have a large squad full of quality and the cohesion is pretty good. But as to winning the Champions League, it remains a little dicey. There are lots of teams playing really well. One example is Napoli. Juventus can win, but I believe let's wait to the round of 16 and quarterfinals before making my final prediction. Uh, to Malawi now, and Patrick Mwamlima is more forthright. People may think having the world's greatest player in Ronaldo means winning everything,、uh, but to me, I don't give them a chance, says Patrick.、Uh, Bobby Brown in the Gambia agrees, saying I don't think Juventus will win it because the English sides are looking strong this season. And finally, Al Haji Manga, also in the Gambia, says I think they'll reach the semi-finals, but no more. 
Thanks so much for all of those comments. Apologies if we didn't have time to read out yours. This week we're asking, are you interested in the Women's Africa Cup of Nations, which begins in two weeks' time? Certainly not the same level of attention as the men's AFCON, but are you interested? Do post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Let's talk English Premier League now. Arsenal-Liverpool on Saturday is the big game of this weekend. Uh, last weekend's matches were overshadowed by the tragedy at the King Power Stadium as Leicester City owner Vichai Srivadana Prabha, also known as Mr Vichy, died along with four others as his helicopter crashed. So sad this, Stuart. Leicester City, of course, pulled off a fairy tale in winning the Premier League Championship three seasons ago. With a good team and a good manager, but much of the credit goes to Mr Vichy, who put in place the infrastructure to make it all possible. As well as the football team, Vichy made generous donations to local charities, hospitals and the universities. Now, on this programme, we've often talked about the negative impact of foreign owners of Premier League clubs. In contrast, Vichy was universally loved by players, supporters and the cities. The football club and in fact the whole city and the football world are in shock that this could have happened. Defender Harry Maguire spoke for the players and many more when he tweeted, Words can't describe how I feel. A truly great, kind, loving man who will be missed by everyone. There was a fitting end to the Weekend's Premier League action with Manchester City beating Tottenham 1-0 and Riyad Mahrez scoring the goal. The Algerian is of course a former Leicester City player who seemed to acknowledge Vici in his goal celebration. And incidentally, remember last week I said that Manchester City seemed to regard Mahrez and Raheem Sterling as an either-or. Well, they both started against Tottenham, which shows how much I know. Leicester City's game on Saturday hardly seems to matter in the context of the accident, but it was good to see four Africans in the starting lineup: Amarty, Gesel, Ndidi, and Ihenecho, with Ndidi scoring the Leicester goal. Liverpool beat Cardiff City 4-1, with Sadio Mane scoring twice and Mo Salah once. Remember Sadio Mane's prediction at the start of this season that he would score more goals this season than Salah. Well, perhaps he will. Yes, it could happen. And uh, Isaac's success has ended a two-year goal drought. Steve, I have some success for Watford to report. A 3-0 win over Huddersfield leaves them in seventh place in the league table. With their Nigerian forward Isaac success scoring the third goal. Success has struggled for game time this season. Before last week, he had only had eight short appearances off the bench, but has started the last two and has now scored. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored his seventh goal in the Premier League this season as Arsenal drew 2-2 with Crystal Palace. But there were two notable aspects to his goal. It was awarded by Goal Line Technology, with the ball having crossed the line by 9 millimetres, just 9 millimetres. But the goal would certainly have been disallowed by the VAR, if the Premier League used it, for a clear handball by Lacazette 
in the build-up to the goal. Both the Crystal Palace goals were scored from the penalty spot by Luka Milovicevic. There's a name to conjure with. Hats off to him as he missed a penalty last week but still had the courage to step up twice on Sunday. Talking about penalties, Paul Pogba had a penalty saved by Everton's Jordan Pickford before he netted the rebound. Pogba used his shuffle run and someone timed him as taking 9.7 seconds from the start to reaching the ball. That is more time than it used to take Usain Bolt to run 100 metres. Chelsea beat Burnley 4-0, but the shocking news is that two of Chelsea's goal scorers were born in England, Ross Barkley and Loftus-Cheek. Remember, Chelsea are the team who have often fielded teams without an English player in sight. Incidentally, Steve, Loftus-Cheek's goal came from a backheel by Marcus Alonso. I suppose you could call that a cheeky backheel. Finally, Steve, last week I commented on how Newcastle United had lost eight and their only points coming from two scoreless draws and that that had not happened since 1930. Well, I'm pleased to tell you they've kept the sequence going with another nil-nil draw, this time against Southampton. Well, tough going for Newcastle. They play Watford on Saturday. The big game again of the weekend will be Arsenal-Liverpool. That's a Saturday fixture as well. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.